The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome, everybody, and thanks for joining us for today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Uh, We have a lot of things we're going to be talking about today, starting with... um, the why this college essay. So the past couple of episodes, we've been discussing college essays and how to approach the common app prompts. Well, there's also another essay that is out there that is very popular. A number of colleges ask students to write some version of it. Um, I call it the why this college essay. We're going to be talking to you about how to approach that. We're also going to be covering how to establish credit as a college student. And I don't mean credit as in how many credit hours you can earn for your AP tests. I mean establishing financial credit. Uh, which is something that's going to be really useful when you actually graduate from college and also not ruining your credit while you are in college. I got a hold of a credit card when I was in college and I didn't do too much damage, but I see now looking back that it would have been easy for me to do that. Um, I did manage to throw an entire spring break trip on a credit card, not something I would recommend. Uh, but before we get to all of that, uh, we're back today with the second segment in our four-segment piece about the kinds of things you need to be thinking about for every year of high school. And um, back again to talk through sophomore year is Kira Tyler, my colleague here at College Coach and a former uh, admissions officer at Brandeis. Kira, welcome. Thanks, Beth. So we talked last week about ninth grade. We talked. To, we touched on uh, a lot to do with goal setting and thinking ahead. And I think that at the start of every year, or even at the end of every year, can be a very good time to talk or to think about um, how the year went and whether or not you achieved those goals. Uh, any anything that you, in particular, you would single out for preparing for the sophomore year when it comes to that side of things. Sure. So um, I think certainly reviewing goals, as as you just mentioned, is is really helpful. Um, I also like for students to think about the academic year from the perspective of were they happy with how it went? Were things too easy? Were they too challenging? And um, did they work efficiently? You know, a lot of times we get questions from families about study habits and study skills and, um, you know, my kid's homework is taking five hours. Is that normal? And sometimes it is and sometimes it's not. So let's think about, um, you know, what were some of the high points of the previous ninth grade year and then um, for those things that didn't go quite as well, how we can fix them. And I think efficiency and working on homework effectiveness and study skills is really um, a nice thing to think about in the summer. 
Right. I think that's a really great idea. I think um, we didn't touch on what to do this summer between ninth and 10th grade because we ran out of time, quite honestly, sure. after our yeah. last time. I think regrouping and thinking about how you're going to approach next year differently would be probably number one for me of what I'd like you to do over the summer. What about how important do you think it is for ninth graders to do something special the summer between uh, freshman and sophomore year? And by special, I mean, I don't know, a job, an internship. Uh, fly to Costa Rica and build houses, that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I don't think they're that important. I really love, and it, to be frank, um, it's not so feasible for a lot of these kids either. They can't drive. You know, most of them still have to rely on mom and dad and whatever sibling schedules are going on. Um, and so I, um, and, and, you know, being able to go on a volunteering excursion to somewhere like Costa Rica or any of those is um, really cost uh, can be really cost prohibitive and not very helpful in the admissions mm-hmm. process. To be frank, um, so I would say stay close to home. You know, if you if you're into um, a sport, go to a sports camp. If you um, you know are wanting to uh, try your hand at working, see if you can grab a job at the local scoop shop. Or you know, if you can establish uh, a business like doing lawn care for families or house sitting. Or I would make it easy. Volunteer at your local public high school. Um, be entrepreneurial and, and maybe set up a day camp for local kids. Um, you know, in the summer. So. So I would I would keep it local. I would be easy about it. And I, as a parent, um, don't feel like you have to spend thousands of dollars to provide a quote unquote meaningful summer experience for your kids. Think local. Yes. I would agree completely with that. Going back to what you were talking about before, I think you made a really good point about, you know, how did the year go? And when you think about how the year went, how would you relate that to the courses that you're gonna take in your sophomore year and whether or not, you know, do you change your path in the sophomore year? What kinds of things are important to be thinking about when you think about your coursework? Sure. You know, I think if a student legitimately struggled in a particular area or subjects, right, maybe the the courses were really too challenging. Maybe they had a harder-than-expected transition from middle school to high school, and there were just a a storm of things that that, um, made for a rough year. If the student really, and the parent, quite frankly, and in a lot of cases the teachers, because sometimes they have to recommend students um, for their the next year's coursework, if everybody's on the same page that maybe Johnny had too hard of a schedule, try dialing it back. Not all the mm-hmm. way. It doesn't have to, as you, you know, as we talked about last week, it doesn't have to be an all or nothing approach. See what the trouble spots were and if there's a way to remedy that. Um, but you don't have to wipe away all of the challenge um, just because they struggled in one particular area. I think in a lot of ways, if you alleviate one thing, one course, or maybe you incorporate a study hall or something, that that can help um, lessen the pressure and allow a little bit of breathing room. Um, the yep. flip side is if your student floated through the ninth grade year, um, you didn't see them doing a lot of homework, you didn't see them putting a, little, a lot of effort, and there's still room for them to grow from a rigor perspective, I would push them to move up to the next level. Yes, great advice. And I think one thing I'd love for there to be a takeaway here from people who are listening and saying, but why aren't you telling me specifically which courses to take? I mean, the reason we're not doing that is because every student really is different. Uh, And I think you need to be focused on the five core courses, which we've talked about in previous shows. So again, go to the archives, that's there, but math, science, English, history, and foreign language. But within that, there is a lot of room uh, for different choices depending on students' skills 
skill sets. And the first and most important thing always is going to be choose a path that's going to allow you to be challenged but successful. And that's going to lead to the most appropriate opportunities. It may not lead to an Ivy League school. It may not lead to a flagship University of California school. Mm -hmm. It may not, you know, it may not lead to to your flagship um, state institution. But if you make different choices and the student isn't successful, you're not going to those places anyway. So that's the primary thing is you want to make sure you're choosing a course that's right for you or that's right for your student if you're a parent listening. What about extracurricular um, activities? We talked about trying maybe some new things in ninth grade or at the same time, maybe sticking with some things that the student already knows that he or she likes. What else would you be thinking about in this year, the sophomore year, when it comes to extracurriculars? Yeah, I would, um, my hope is that students found a few things that they really loved and were, you know, interested in and excited by in the ninth grade and hopefully can continue on in the tenth grade. What we're hoping to establish is some continuity. And if we want to take it even a little step further, we'll bring up again, demonstrated, I'm sorry, distinguishing, distinguishing excellence, excuse me, um, and continuing on within some extracurricular vein is a great way of, of continuing to develop that distinguishing excellence. But for me, it really is, you know, I hope that students don't change course too much for the extracurriculars um, and that they got it right in the ninth grade year. A lot of times, to be frank, I see that students, you know, are like, oh, I could pick this out in the 10th grade. Like, they really blossom and grow and are able to take on some new uh, leadership mm-hmm. responsibilities, which if they're, A, that kind of student, and, B, it's available to them in the 10th grade, I'd say, and it won't really affect their academics, you know, I'd say go for it. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things I tell my students, especially in the sophomore year, although sometimes I have them looking for it in ninth grade, is Mm -hmm. colleges do really like leadership. So one of the things I want them to pay attention to is how are those leaders for the things they're involved in? How are those leaders selected? Is it that you have to be involved all all four years? Is there a path to being the captain? Do you start out, you know, just being a good contributor? Do Can you be a section leader, depending on what you're doing? And then that's the stepping stone to the next biggest leadership role. Has the editor-in-chief of the newspaper ever been selected from someone who wasn't a section editor in their junior year? Mm-hmm. Uh, does it usually come from a particular section? You want to pay attention to those things. It's similar to the way that courses progress. Often, there's a similar progression in a club or in a sport or in an activity that you're doing. And if you are set on achieving that major leadership role, you really need to understand how you get there. Or you can't wake up in the first day of senior year and say, you know, I think I'd like to be editor-in-chief of the newspaper this year. Guess what? That that spot's already taken. Right. And I think, too, I don't want to let those kids off the hook who are like, oh, I like this, but it's not my school. Well, then see if you can make it come to your school. I understand when kids are reluctant in the ninth grade year to start up a new club or organization, you know, of an interest that uh, they have that may not be uh, an option at the school. I get why kids would be a little hesitant to do that. But 10th grade, you've already been there a year. You know how things work. Um, You know, hopefully you can figure out how to... um, start something on your own. I mean, that'd be great. And a great show of leadership. And, and colleges do like to see that. It's certainly not for Absolutely. every student, but if you are that type of student, I, I, I agree. I fully support that. 
One of the things that we talked about uh, last week in the segment on ninth grade was standardized testing, um, just kind of there might be a few options to be thinking about as a ninth grader. Even in 10th grade, I think there are probably still, it's still not something you need to be thinking a lot about, but are there any tips that you would offer for a sophomore when it comes to standardized testing? Sure. So um, if your school offers you the opportunity to take the PSAT, uh, even though it will be a year early, you know, I mean, you take it officially as a junior, but if they say as a 10th grader you can take it, I would I would absolutely run with that. I see no harm in a student having access to that um, in sort of a fail-safe, no-pressure mode. So I would do that. Um, the plan is usually... Um, focus for 10th graders, I would have them try that as well. Um, Being able to take both of those two in the 10th grade means that when a student is in 11th grade and doing their official testing, they've already figured out, okay, I've had exposure to both, which one do I prefer, and then they can move forward. Um, And then, again, thinking about um, subject tests. You know, you may have another opportunity if you've taken a, an honor science course, try that. Sometimes we have students that are ready to sit for math one or even math two if they're really accelerated. I see no problem with that for 10th grade. Um, you know, if the family forgets or something comes up during the testing period and they can't do it, there will be another time to do that later. But I always think it's nice to do it again when it's low pressure, sort of a fail-safe kind of situation. Exactly. You're two years out from when you're yeah. actually going to be submitting these scores. And if That's they right. don't go the way you want them to, Forget you have time it. to retest right at yeah. that point. Yeah. So move on. Um, I think that's a great, great recommendation. As far as speaking of recommendations, I'm, I'm doing well with my own transitions. Most colleges that ask for teacher recommendations really want to hear from junior or senior year teachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you, th- is there, is this something a student even needs to be worried about in their sophomore year or is there anything they can do related to teacher recommendations in sophomore year? I mean, I think always participating and trying to establish good, respectful relationships with your teachers is key. And, you know, there are some schools that will allow for students to to pursue 10th grade recommendations, and so the opportunity may come back for you to go to a teacher and ask. But, um, you know, yes, the, the audience is mostly 11th grade, 12th grade teachers, but it's never too early to be thinking about setting good habits around participating in class and, you know, making yourself available to the teacher, um, having good communication and working styles with them. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And for parents out there who have children or students who are really reticent, really don't like to speak up um, pretty much ever to adults, one other thing that you can be doing to support that is even having them, forcing them to kind of speak to adults in other places. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, ordering your meal when you go to a restaurant or asking for that book that's on the reading list that they can't find when they go to their local Barnes and Noble. It can be really tempting and easy easy to do those kinds of things for your child, uh, but the more comfortable they are talking to adults, the more comfortable they're going to be speaking up in class or maybe talking to a teacher after class, and those are all really important things. Yeah, Last thing that I wanted to talk about, and we have time this time, and that is the summer. Now, this summer, the summer between sophomore and junior year, which I think starts to become a little bit more important when it comes down to the colleges looking and saying, well, what did you do with that downtime? Um, So what are some things that you think about when you think about the summer between sophomore and junior year? Sure. 
So, and I, you know, this may be controversial for people, but, uh, you know, if your student has been someone who's been going to the same camp, you know, since they were in the third grade, um, I would encourage you all to think of a different plan uh, for summer between sophomore and junior year. Not that camp isn't great, not that there's not a lot to be gained from that experience, but I think trying something different, um, like going to a pre-college program or volunteering um, at some organization or trying to seek out a shadowing or an internship opportunity. Um, these are all terrific things. A job, you know, by this point, a lot of kids may be turning 16. So having a legitimate job, grocery store, Target, pool, you know, wherever, um, any of those places would be perfectly fine and appropriate and great um, for um, summer between 10th and 11th grade. Also, you could start early college visits. You know, they cost nothing. Um, they're not, nobody's too young to do them. So, um, you know, if your student is curious and you think that they're ready, um, I would go. I would do a few. Yeah. I would agree. And I think that what's key, key takeaway here for this stuff is that we're talking about experiences that students have and rather than what college is like to see. And, um, you know, a pre-college program, don't go to a pre-college program at the college that's your child's number one choice because you think it's going to give you an edge in the admissions process. Go because you think your student would would find value in living as a college student on a college campus. It's about what they're going to get out of it and not about the fact that the colleges think that that's so phenomenal. That's right. Uh, Or if your student has a particular academic interest and they just really haven't had the chance to learn about that in the traditional high school setting, send them to pre-architecture camp or send them mm -hmm. to, you know, sports management you know, sport broadcasting camp for a week or two. I think that that's really, in its purest sense, what we would hope summer would be about. Absolutely. I would agree. And uh, plug for just the plain old job. I'm a big fan of the plain old Love job. job. I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> Kira, thank you so much. I know you're going to be back with us next week, and we're going to be talking about the junior year. Maybe we need yes. to do the entire segment or the entire show about the junior <laughs> year because there's so much to cover. Um, but we will do our best. After the break, we're going to be back to talk about establishing credit as a college student. So don't go away. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, myth 
reality, and 21st century archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1 866 472 5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everybody. Uh, Welcome back. So I promised before the break that we were going to be talking about establishing credit as a college student after the break. And I'm pleased to welcome Lori Peltier, who has been on the show before. She's a former senior financial aid officer at Anna Maria College and Becker College. Uh, She totally knows her stuff. Lori, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Beth. It's good to be here. So I don't know if you heard while you were waiting to come on, but I had a story that was not so excellent, which is that I got myself a credit card when I was in college, and I promptly turned around and put a spring break trip to Cancun, Mexico on it, (laughs) and then probably proceeded to pay three times what that trip actually cost uh, by trying to pay that off and making minimum payments, and it took me a long time. It's certainly not something that I would recommend. And luckily, I was smart enough to realize that that wasn't a good choice and I didn't continue to do things like that. So that's the good news. But, um, you know, we're here today to talk about helping your college student to establish credit. And I think before we get into it too much, why is that important? Why would it be important to establish that at this point when they're in college? Well, it, I think it's important to avoid it causing problems with your credit in college. I think it's very easy for kids to get into trouble with their credit, and it could take them several years to reverse that and get a good credit score. And most kids, uh, I say kids, but when you graduate college and you're out on your own, you might want to buy a car. You might want to lease an apartment. Uh, some jobs even today are checking credit on potential job applicants, Mm -hmm. and landlords are checking credits on on potential um, renters. So a good credit score is something that's going to help the student in a lot of areas of their life for many years to come. And I think that today kids aren't getting that kind of advice in high school. There used to be like a money management class that kids would take in high school that would teach them, this is back in the day, teach them how to balance their checkbook and figure out which loan has the best interest rate and things like that. Those type of basic life skill classes are not taught anymore. And kids today don't see a lot of transactions with cash. Everything's, you know, either with credit cards, debit cards, online purchases. So it's kind of funny money to them. It doesn't really seem real to students, I think. I mean, even I think to adults sometimes, I know that I am far more willing, and I think I've seen studies that show this, that when I'm putting down my credit card, I'm far more willing to you know, buy one little extra thing or spend a little bit more because it's my credit card, and I, right. I'm not handing over my cash. Um, right. Okay. 
So we know it's important. Uh, as a parent, what should I be doing? My stepson is heading off to college here in just a couple of months. Uh, what should we be doing to help him earn a good credit score for future borrowing? Well, I think you could start by explaining what a credit score is and how it's made up. A credit score is made up of several different components, including uh, how a person's payment history goes, how quickly and how often they make their payments on time uh, every month. Um, they keep track of that. Also, the amount that's owed, the, pe- the different amounts that you might owe on the different balances you have uh, factors into your credit score. The amount of years or months that you've had credit, how long has it been outstanding? Has it been outstanding for five months or five years or 50 years? That affects your credit score. And the credit mix of the different types of credits, is it a student loan, is it a credit card, is it a utility bill, and how much of your credit base is new credit versus old credit. So all of those factor in. The biggest one is the payment history. Um, So, you know, teaching your son that he has to, you know, pay his bills on time, that the due date is the due date and there's nothing else he can do about it. So I think understanding why the credit score is important and what goes into it should be the first part of it. Another thing that you could do is open up an authorized account holder from your credit card to him. So he Mm -hmm. could get a credit card linked to yours. His credit is going to mirror your credit. So he's going to kind of look like he has your credit score because he has a credit card on your account. Mm. Um, Is that dangerous for me if he decides to do you. It can be dangerous for you. So you may want to have a limit on the balance. So you can set how much of he can charge on that. It could be $500, could be $1,000, could be $3,000, whatever you're comfortable with, but knowing that you may be paying that back. Um, and I think it's a great way for parents to kind of test the waters and see, does he rack up the bills the first month? And does he buy concert tickets or does he buy his books with that credit card? You know, so where is the money going and, and is he using it wisely? And you will be able to see all the transactions because it's linked to your account. Gotcha. Um, so, so that's, so that's cool. one way to, um, to kind of give them some independence with a credit card, but, um, but also be able to control the limit and control the impact of, you know, if he does rack up a bill to the maximum, um, you know, you can control it instead of the bank taking control of his credit score. Right, and you can see that it's happening as well because you have access to it. And so if you can see it's happening, you can potentially even intercede a little bit more quickly than Mm -hmm. you would be able to, right? The banks are just going to let it go and go until you do some serious damage. Are there... um, I think we talked probably about one big trap you can fall into. I did it by putting a spring break trip onto a credit card. But are there traps that college students typically fall into that affect their credit? I think that? credit cards. I think credit cards are the biggest one. Honestly, I have I have a 22 year old and two 19 year olds in my house, and I get the mail every day. And every day, or at least once a week, there's a credit card offer for all yep. three of them. And I tear them up and throw them away. Um, So (laughs) there are credit card companies who kind of prey on that age group, knowing that if they can get them now, they'll have them for life. And um, knowing that they might not fully understand. And they have some attractive offers where it might be 0% interest to start off with for the first six months. But after that six-month introductory offer, it jumps to 9% or 12% or 18%. You know, so... um, 
kids that age, they don't understand that. And, and you know, they're not looking. Six months down the road is an eternity for them. Absolutely. So they think, you know, I'm just going to use it now and pay it off before that hits. Um, and they don't understand the um, the minimum balance, that if you're only paying the minimum balance required, it's going to take a long time to pay it off. And in the long run, you're going to pay, like you said, two, three, even five times as much as what you borrowed. Right. Um, so I think credit cards are, are the biggest trap. Um, student loans can be the, another trap um, if they're not borrowing wisely for college. Hopefully some of our segments here uh, on this radio show have helped them. But the private student loans that are available may look attractive. Um, they may get a lot of mailings from them where they're not going to get mailings from the federal government loans, but they're going to get mailings from banks offering private student loans. And they might have a better interest rate than the federal loans, but they don't have the flexibility on the back end for repayment. So if you take a private student loan and you're unemployed for a year and you can't pay it back, they still require you to pay it. And it's going to affect your credit score because you can't. With a federal loan, you could ask for a deferment and say, can you put my loans on hold until I get on my feet again? You can't do that with private loans. So, so that's why we, we say that can be a trap. The other trap is related to that where people do put their loans on hold for a long period of time, not realizing how large they're growing while they're just sitting there. It's like, I don't right. know, putting a plant in the mind, closet. Right? Exactly. Um, and then when they finally go back to attack the loan and say, okay, I'm going to pay it back now, it's like, wow, it's, you know, it's doubled in size because I let it sit there. Right. I thought I only owed 20000 and now it's forty, yeah. and yeah. that's, you know, maybe you're right back where you were before where you thought, I can't really tackle this right now. I'll get to it later. Right. Yes. Credit is one, not something you want to mess with, and paying back your loans are not something you really want to put off till tomorrow, generally speaking, anyway. Right. Um, anything else on those traps? I don't want to – I, 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 we covered a few. I don't know if that was those were the ones you wanted to talk about or if there were any others. There's one other trap that I see sometimes, especially if students aren't living on campus and they're moving off campus to an apartment. So Mm. they get an apartment with three or four of their friends. Well, they've got to split the rent. They've got to split the utility bills. Who's responsible for them? If you have one roommate who flakes out and says, you know what, I'm leaving, I'm going home, and the other ones are left holding the bill. So you you need to be careful about what they sign up for when they sign a lease for an off-campus apartment because there are those extras the cable bill, the Netflix, the phone bill, the electricity, the water bill, the heat, you know, um, that will follow them and, and affect their credit if the student's name is on it and it wasn't paid on time or if it wasn't paid when they moved out of the apartment, something like that. Right. Gotcha. Okay, so that makes sense. Those are some good suggestions, things to watch out for. Uh, any tips as my 18-year-old goes off to college, um, he's going to be managing his own money, but, or, you know, we're probably going to have a bit of a hand in that, but for other people uh, out there soon to send their kids off to college, what other tips could you share beyond the ones we've already talked about? Well, I think, you know, obviously it's important to talk about it, to, to talk about budgets and bank accounts and, and safety. Um, for a lot of kids, this is the first time they're going to have a debit card or an ATM card. So do they go into that at 3 a.m. on a dark street, you know, and use the ATM mm-hmm. machine? That's just dangerous. So, so just some basic safety things about using debit and credit cards, not giving out your PIN number, not lending your credit card to a friend. If it is lost or stolen, how to report it. 
um, you know, always knowing where it is so that you'll know if it was lost or stolen before, you know, it gets out of hand. Um, because, it, you know, again, it's, it's one of those things they think nothing of. You know, everybody whips out their credit card and their debit card, and they don't really think about the, um, the consequences if they lost it or didn't use it in the right way. Um, another thing is using ATMs that charge a fee or using mm-hmm. a credit card that has an annual fee. I think fees in general are something that need to be talked about, um, that, you know, the cost of something, pizza at midnight on the credit card might only be $18, but if you're not paying it back on time and there's late fees and there's interest accruing, it's going to be a lot more than an $18 piece of pizza. It's going right. to be very, very expensive. Um, and making their money last for the whole semester. You know, when is the next time they're going to get an influx of cash? And how much money do they have to spend? And what happens if they run out? You know, what are the consequences? So it, it's not always a pleasant conversation to have, but over the summer, it's something that you could start talking about. Get to the bank, open an account, uh, find out what ATMs are on campus um, so that you can have that plan of how and when they're going to get money and, and what they're going to be able to spend it on. Yeah, I mean, one of the things we've been talking about is, so my stepson has a job. He earns decent money at that job. And um, when we were heading back from orientation, my husband was saying to him, well, how much money uh, do you think you could make this summer? And he hadn't really thought about it. And he said, well, how much money do you want to go to school with this summer? I mean, when you go in the fall. And he hadn't really thought about that. And so ultimately, they sat down and took a look at how much money it would be good for him to have, um, understanding that he was going to be responsible for paying for some of his books and things like that. And then they put together that ideal amount and then took a look at, was he on track to earn that much this summer or should he be picking up extra shifts? Mm -hmm. He works at the supermarket uh, to try and earn more money. And uh, it didn't occur to me. It was totally my husband's idea, but I think a really brilliant one because uh, it's early enough in the summer so that if he wasn't on track to earn enough money, he now is, he can put himself on that track. It's all about, we're all about early today, or we were about la- last week's show, we were all about starting early. And um, yeah. there's nothing wrong with starting a little early on this stuff too. Anything else you'd want to add before we uh, wrap, wrap up today? Uh, the only other thing I'd add is that they need to, kids need to understand that banks can make mistakes too, that um, they need to check their accounts. And I think the, the philosophy of, you know, you might have a check outstanding or a deposit hasn't cleared, that money's not yours yet. So to mm-hmm. watch for overdrafts, um, you know, watching, just checking your balance isn't enough, checking the transactions and keeping track of the ins and outs of your bank account are important. Again, they don't really teach that in school of how to balance your checkbook, and a lot of people don't write checks anymore, but there are still times when your bank account may not reflect the actual amount of money you have available. Yeah, and these days you can do, you can access your account often online and really keep track of that in real time. So I think that's mm-hmm. great advice. And mm-hmm. they all have smartphones and they can check them from their phones. So that's a good way to use that smartphone rather than a distracting way to use the smartphone. My um, daughter was showing me how she uses her phone to take a picture of a check to make a deposit. Yeah, absolutely. I do the same thing. We actually bank with a bank that is not in our town, and um, I've never been there. I probably never will go there, and that's how we deposit our checks and stuff. It's pretty cool. Lori, thank you so much. I really appreciate you joining us again today, Uh, and we're going to be back after the break to talk about the Why This College essay. So uh, we'll be back in just a couple minutes.
We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Voice America presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Show host Sharon Kleina interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleiner Hour is health from an environmental perspective, your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, as I promised before the break, we're going to be talking about the Why This College essay. And here to do that segment with me is Tova Tolman, who is a former Barnard, Fordham, and Montclair State admissions officer. Um, my guess is she's read her fair share of this kind of essay in her time in admissions. Tova, thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure, Beth, and it's true I have. Okay, good. Well, between the two of us, then, we should have lots of good stories to tell. I think the first question is going to be really basic. What is a Why This College essay? Oh, well, it's exactly what it sounds like. Uh, a lot of times, uh, colleges are looking to dig a little deeper into understanding how you might be a good match for their school. And they are simply asking why do you want to come here? And why are you interested in our school? What is it about our school that makes you want to attend? And why do you think it's important, this particular essay? Because I think it's pretty you know, I always it, love it, to hear what other people think. <laughs> sure. It can be a really helpful tool in discerning those applications that seem so similar to one another. For mm-hmm. the schools that are privileged enough to be able to 
choose from highly selective or highly qualified applicants you know, when they have more qualified applicants than space available, they need other measures to be able to discern who makes the best fit, who is the best match for their school beyond just a numeric picture because they have too many applications with the high test scores and the high grades. So they're going to do a deeper holistic review. And on the show, we've talked about all kinds of other features and pieces of what makes that up. But a big part of that is the essay. And they're looking to see more than just who you are and what you're all about, but what is your understanding of their school? How might you be able to contribute? What attributes and and elements of their school that is unique to their school are going to be a good fit with what it is you're looking for in your experience. And those pieces can really help make the difference uh, when when, uh, applicants are otherwise uh, pretty identical. Right. I would totally agree. And I also would go and say that I started the segment by, by asking what the, why this college essay is. What it is not is an essay about how amazing a school is. So, um, you know, I always uh, caution students away from that sort of, well, this is just flattery. They know, they already think that they are the best school out there in this field. They already know that this professor is an amazing professor. That's not what they're asking you. They are asking you, why is this an amazing school for you? Why would this professor be someone that you would want to study with? And so it's all about making that connection between what the college has to offer and what you are looking for and how those two come together. Um, so anyway, before we get too much into that, I, I think one last thing that I want to, basic thing that I'd love to establish would be do all colleges require this essay? Is this something you had as a requirement at all three of the colleges you did admissions at or just one or maybe two? Uh, you know, actually not at all is it required by all schools. Uh, it's, I'd say uh, not required more than, than have it. Uh, at the schools that you mentioned that I worked at, Barnard was the only one that required a, a Y Barnard type essay. Montclair yep. State and Fordham did not. I also did actually uh, work at Columbia University as a reader and committee member, and uh, we did have a Why Columbia essay that was a big part of it as well. So certainly it is not required, I'd say, by the overwhelming majority of schools. Typically, just the main personal statement is enough for the schools to be able to get a sense. It's the schools that are looking for an even deeper read and understanding of the student who are going to require it. Right, exactly. So not going to be required everywhere, but the places that do require it, it's typically going to be a super important piece of the application. Exactly. So, so here's the next question. Are they all the same? Um, what is your sense of the different ways in which schools ask this question and what they're looking for in those responses? Sure. That's a very nuanced question because you know what? They're not all the same. Uh, schools ask all kinds of different supplementary questions to the main essay. Sometimes they have multiple supplemental questions and one of them might be, hey, why this college? And then they might have some others. Other mm-hmm. times they might just have one sort of supplementary question and it's not necessarily explicit that they are hoping for you to make clear to them why this college, even if it doesn't say it in the title. I think a a great example of that could be uh, University of Richmond, is it? Tell us about spiders, right, Uh, Beth? Is that the one that asks, tell us about spiders? Are they the the fighting spiders, right? I think it is Richmond, yeah. 
there's Richmond, right? And they're not necessarily saying explicitly why University of Richmond, but in asking you to tell them about spiders, tell them about their mascot, tell them about who you think they are, you really are given an opportunity to explain, maybe not so overtly, but certainly you hope to accomplish in your essay, still be able to tell them why are you a good fit for that school. So it can look like a lot of different things. And I recommend that students use that opportunity to help the school see why they might be a good fit. Even if they're not necessarily spelling it out for you, it is the student's opportunity to do just that. Yeah, I would agree. And um, Boston College is another one that comes to mind for me. They have four prompts that students can choose from, or they have historically had that. And they don't really ever say that they're looking for you to tell them about why Boston College. But if you go to their information sessions, um, they do sort of make that a little more explicit there. So two things, you do yourself a favor by visiting Boston College because they give you actual, you know, some additional information in their info sessions, but then also it isn't at first glance apparent that they want that why the Boston College stuff in those essays, um, but they actually do. And others are going to very explicitly say, you know, I know when I was at Penn, essentially the question that they write, which is sometimes long, sometimes short, but it usually just boils down to why Penn? Why do you want to come here? Why is this place a good fit for you? And it's not too hidden. It's pretty clear um, and right there in front of you if you, if you read the question. And the so, same was true at Barnard and Columbia. It was very explicit. Why Barnard? Why Columbia? <laughs> exactly. Pretty straightforward. It's tough to go wrong with those. So now we know what these essay is and that, you know, some schools are going to have it and you might have to work a little lar- harder to spot it. But once you've realized, oh, wow, I'm writing a Why This College essay, um, what are some suggestions you have about actually sitting down to write that essay? I think that you really started to give that advice already by the by the research that the student's going to do. Uh, hopefully, you can have a chance to visit. Uh, regardless, uh, or however you're going to go about your research, you do need to deeply research beyond a quick Google, you know, a, a quick scan of the view book, or uh, you know, some frequently asked questions is not going to be a deep enough understanding of the school to really have your answer be clear. I think that the student has to really have a clear understanding of, honestly, why that school. <laughs> they can't yes. answer that question beyond some of the obvious features that you can see, you know, just by a quick glance at the website, then it's not going to come through in a, in, a, in a really meaningful way. I think the biggest mistake students can make is really being too generic or not specific enough in this answer. Uh, so the research they really need to do is, okay, let's say I really am interested in their biology department. Why? What, what about their biology department? You mentioned mentioning a specific professor. Is there a professor in that department who is studying or researching a field or topic that's of interest to you? Okay, you're interested in internships. Great. A lot of schools have internship opportunities. That's not unique to that school. What kind of internship opportunities do they offer? How are they preparing their students for interviews and internships? Or what are some of the examples of unique partnerships that their school has that they wouldn't be able to find elsewhere? So the research that the students are going to need to do is the kind that really digs deeply beneath the surface so that they can have a clear understanding of what sets that school apart 
and the kind of features that aren't going to be available at the next school. Right. I always say, don't tell me you want to study abroad and they have really great study abroad programs. Tell me where you want, tell me about the program that they offer that is specifically of interest to you and why it's of interest to you. There's a big difference between those two. Uh, and I used to work with someone who said, if you can cover up the name of Penn on that essay, and the essay still makes sense if you inserted Brown or Columbia or any other school based in a city, then you've written a poor essay because it's so generic that all you have to do is change one word and the whole thing works. So you yes, definitely don't want like that. We like to call that the thumb test. If you cover yes. it up with your thumb, is it still clear which college they're talking about? If not, you really missed the opportunity of what that essay could have been. Exactly. And I think you raise a really good point, and I may have alluded to it earlier, but let me hammer it home here. And that is, you have no business writing a Why This College essay before you go and you do your research. And while mm-hmm. I can completely appreciate that many teenagers, and quite frankly, many people, have a list of colleges that they put together that are really, it's based more on a feeling and a reputation and, uh, you know, well, I just really loved it when I was there on campus. This is your opportunity to dig a little deeper and make sure that actually it really does make sense for you. And if you can't, at the end of your research, really articulate why, then you have no business applying because you haven't thought it through or worse, you haven't found things that really do appeal to you. And now the only reason it's on your list is because of name recognition or because you thought the campus was really pretty when you were there. Um, Not a good enough reason to spend $60,000 plus uh, every year for four years uh, on on a college. um, Anything students should avoid? Any things that you, besides sitting down to write without doing research, what other kinds of things would you caution against when they approach this essay? Sure. Well, you know, the the too generic is certainly the the main problem with these that you see all too often. I worked at, I used two schools in New York City as an example. Third was Fordham. When the student says, I want to go to your school because you're in New York City, well, fantastic. There are many schools in New York City. (laughs) Why ours? Or when they look at attributes again, that could be at any school. And then to be even more specific, while Fordham didn't specifically ask a why Fordham essay, many students took the personal statement as an opportunity to write a specific essay to Fordham and then really make it very specific. Although we get to the end and realize, huh, and that's why I want to go to NYU. And I can't tell you how often that happened. Nothing puts a nail on the cover for the yes. student who says a really great specific essay for another school. So really taking the time to make sure that it is, again, so specific to that school that it could not be another school, I'd say, is is, uh, really important. Uh, You know, things that they want to look out for and be aware of are are what are the things that the school is most known for. It's it's something uh, that really truly is special to you, and that's why you care for the school. Great. That goes back to our conversation a few weeks ago about being true to your authentic self. But yep. if it's, you know, it's same as any other thing, and, and you could be a little bit less uh, generic, even with that school, and not mention the most popular things that everyone else is going to mention. A lot of times uh, we'd see at Columbia students talking about the core requirements. Columbia's core is famed and well-known, and being, you know, just mentioning the fact that, oh, I'm interested in Columbia because of core. Well, okay, A, be a little bit more specific, and, and B, if you could be a little bit 
uh, more original or, or I, you know, talk about in a way that really makes it clear why this is something that is so special to you. Yes. Otherwise, sounds a little too familiar and then ends up sounding generic, even if it is specific to that school. So, again, boils back down to the things you care most about, the things that are really special to you about that school, and making it clear for the school why those attributes make it a good match for you. Right. And any kind of flattery that just hangs there, like, Mm -hmm. this is the most amazing school in the country, Mm -hmm. or this school has the best biology department of any college in the country, I will frequently say to students, how do you know that? Are you in a position to know that? Who said that? Did the school say that? How are you going to back this up with any factual information? The answer to all of those questions is you have no idea and you're not going to back it up with factual information because there is none. So don't say that. Say instead, I'm particularly interested in studying biology at XYZ University because you have a focus on this and I am interested in this area and here's why I'm interested in this area and here are the courses in that area that you offer that are really intriguing to me. And here's what I think I'm going to get out of those courses. Uh, Flattery for flattery's sake has absolutely zero place in this and um, is not, that doesn't count as a specific um, sort of calling these schools out as being amazing doesn't count in that same way. The last piece of cautionary advice I have is use the space you have allotted wisely. Uh, sometimes they give you all the space you want. Other times uh, I can think of uh, University of Pittsburgh as an example where they only give you about 140 characters. <laughs> uh, yes. Use the space they give you very wisely. Don't waste time with uh, being uh, general or, or restating questions. Uh, boil down to your point quickly and get there quickly so that you can really utilize that space with the quality information that you want to focus on. I totally, and such a great point. And if you have only 25 or 50 or 100 words or 140 characters, don't try and write about everything. Pick one thing that really sets out, stands out to you, and then dig into that one thing. And that's a great example of using that space wisely and really, really good and important advice. Um, that you offer there. Tova, I really appreciate you coming on and talking about this. Um, I think there is a lot to think about when you write and approach this essay. And so my takeaways for everyone out there listening are you want to do your research, take notes, be specific, see if it passes the thumb test, make sure that you're sending the right essay to the right college, uh, all those things, and you will be in a much better place uh, when it comes time for you to send those off to the colleges that are asking for them. Tova, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. I want to thank all of my guests who came on the show today. Next week, we're going to be continuing our series about what to think about in each year of high school. We've covered... Uh, ninth grade and 10th grade and Kira is going to be back and she's going to talk about 11th grade junior year which is a big one Uh, so we're going to see what we can cram into the 15 to 16 minutes that we have Um, we're also on the finance side going to be talking about helping teenagers establish a budget so Lori and I talked a tiny little bit about that today and about what um, we were doing in terms of asking my stepson how much money he wanted to go away to college with and how much more he needed to work in order to get that money so we'll be 
digging more deeply into the idea about establishing a budget. Um, we're also going to be talking about majors in the college process. So how do those impact the college process? Not only getting in, but also when you're there and thinking about what you want to study and what you ultimately want to do, because that is the goal at the end of the day, is um, getting out of college and getting a job. Uh, you don't want to forget to visit our archives when you can listen. You can listen to all of our old shows there. We've got all kinds of stuff about getting an early start on the 2015 Common Application Prompts, on paying for college, many other topics. Uh, you can also download the shows for free on iTunes. But if you'd prefer to listen live, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 